Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. This morning, I get to talk about prayer. I'm excited. I, I love prayer. And as I was thinking about this, the Bible says that we should pray. And if I say that, none of you guys are like, oh, what? A pastor thinks I should pray. Like, no one's shocked. Uh, but if I was to ask how many of you guys have or regularly pray, the number would be drastically different. You know, if I was to say ever pray, I think all of you guys would be like, yep. Um, I think people who don't believe in Jesus would say, yep. Um, if the conditions are right, people who don't believe in prayer will give it a shot. I mean, if your pilot says, hey, we're going down, people who say they don't believe in prayer are praying. I, mean, I have had people who got mad at me for suggesting that I pray for them when, when life took turns that it shouldn't have, have come back and said, hey, would you pray? Um, and there's this idea, sometimes it's like, well, well, I'll just give it a shot. Like, why, why not? And, and there's, there is that, but that's a, that's a really far way off from what the Bible says, where Jesus expects us to pray, where 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. And I look and there's just such a difference. I said, so why is there such a difference between what the Bible says it should be and what most Christians experience today? And I, as I was looking at this, I realized it's a really big topic and we are not going to cover every element of prayer. So don't worry, I am not gonna keep you here for a college course in one day. I got 30 minutes and we're gonna talk about prayer because I think the reason that there's a gap comes down to a couple of myths that people believe about prayer. And if we don't understand it, we don't use it right. And if we don't think that it, it matters, we won't be people of prayer. So the first myth I want to look at is people who think that prayer is an empty obligation. There are plenty of people who think that prayer is something that Christians are supposed to do. And its purpose is checking the box. And they go, well, I did it. It's kind of like I met my quota. I can check it off and say, I'm a good person because I prayed. Like how many times a week did I need to check it? Or like, hey, I was really bad this week, so I need to check it more. Or like, they, they think that prayer is an obligation that we do just to make God happy. It's like this, just this service, and it has no power in and of itself. It's just a matter of checking it off the list. And I, I began thinking about it. I'm like, well, if that's what you believe, why would, like, you would not have a good prayer life. If you prayed, it was just, how long do I have to do this before I can check it off my list? Or if I pray for longer, do I get to check it off the list twice? Does, it, does that make me a better person? And, and when, when that's their belief, um, it, it makes prayer very empty. And some of them will go, well, well, doesn't God already have everything figured out anyways? So why would I need to pray? Isn't, it, it has to be empty if everything is already just whatever God wants, isn't he going to do whatever he wants regardless of whether or not I pray? And, and so I started looking 
And I want to show you something quick so that you can understand this myth. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So what is God's desire? That everybody would get saved. But does that happen? Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. And so God says, I want everybody to be saved. Jesus said, not everybody is saved. Therefore, just because God wants it doesn't mean it automatically happens. And if someone is like really, really bent out of shape about this idea of um, everything being predestined versus God giving us free will and the ability to make a choice, I think the simplest argument with them would be to punch them. Because if they really believe that we have no choice, well, nothing I can do about it. God mapped it out thousands of years ago. But I don't think many of them would buy it. I think they'd look at you and you're like, why did you do that? Well, God must have predestined. They're like, no, you chose it. You're right. <laughs> I did. I, I can choose. But if I can choose to do something and punching you would be contrary to what God's word says to do, then I can make a choice that's contrary to God's desire. And if I make a choice that's contrary to God's desire, I will have an outcome that's contrary to God's desire. Right? And, and this, this plays out a lot of different ways. This plays out in your prayer. This plays, plays out in, the Bible says not to get drunk, but people get drunk and drive, and then people get in car accidents, and people die, and people get hurt. God didn't plan for them to go, hey, I, my, my goal is for you to get drunk, to violate my word to do things that's going to hurt people. Now, so if, if God's desire doesn't happen automatically, then, and prayer isn't just an empty obligation, it begins to change something, and then my prayer has a role to play. And so when, when people start to get this, they go, okay, so my, my prayer is important, but they fall for myth too. And they say that my prayer is when I tell God what I need. Like, I got to inform him so God knows what, what I need and what, what needs to happen. But Jesus kind of pops this myth. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he's talking, uh, or he's verse 7, he's like, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do who think they're going to be heard by their many words. He goes, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's weird then why do I need to ask? Because I thought the whole objective of asking the question was so that he would know. But he says it's not. And then if you keep going, he tells his disciples how to pray. And, and this, this is where this started to plant a root in my heart for the concept that is now today's message. But in verse 10, or we'll go verse 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is Jesus. He's telling his disciples, here's how to pray. But when, when he does, he says, your will be done. We're praying to God and saying, your will be done. Whose will? God's will. So does God know what it is? God already knows, obviously, if it's his will. But well, maybe, 
Maybe I need to convince God, right? Like maybe I need to pray more. Maybe if I fast, maybe if if I do it right, then then God will have to answer my prayer. And there's, there's so often that people get into this idea that my prayer is informing God, but he said he already knows it before I even pray it. So that's that's not it. But a lot of us have this concept of God as being the divine Santa. And, and we're trying, in fact, I watched a Christmas movie a while back because my wife likes Christmas movies and that's how that works. So I, I was watching this Christmas movie and there's some siblings and the one believes in Santa and the one doesn't. And as the movie goes on, we find the letter to Santa that the one who doesn't believe in Santa wrote. And the younger sibling's like, what? I thought you didn't believe. And he's like, got to cover all my bases. And I think that's where a lot of people are with prayer. They're like, I do this, especially if something's a really big deal, if it's life, death, or an interview or test. Like, they're like, these are times that I'll pray. But God, prayer should be so much more. And there's, a, there's an amazing relational element that is, that is part of prayer, but that's a whole nother message, so we're not going to get into that. So prayer isn't just informing God, but this next thing is that people think prayer is manipulating God. It's twisting God's arm, especially if you do it right. They're like, if you know the right words, if you make your prayer this special prayer of faith, then you've got God cornered and he's got to do what you said. Or if you, and they go through this, like, I got to make God want it. By if I fast long enough, then God's going to want to answer my prayer. And, and that's, remember, verse 10, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. If it's God's will, he already wants it. Just by definition. So if God already wants it, then my prayer isn't informing him. My prayer isn't convincing him. My prayer has another purpose. It has another function. And I believe as we begin to capture this, we can become people of prayer. See, because I think um, Miles Monroe said, he said, prayer is the expression of man's relationship with God and participation in his purpose. We get to participate with God through prayer because prayer is a matter of authority. It was set up by God in Genesis chapter one. Uh, In verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the earth, over the livestock and over all the earth. So God, the creator, he makes the world and he makes man and he goes, I am framing the world and the rules that will run the world. In this framing, he goes, let's give the dominion, let's give the authority of this place that I have made to man. I think one of the easier ways to understand it would be, he goes, I am giving you a lease of the earth. Now, if you lease a home, it's a strange thing because you are not the owner but they gave you now authority over the home that they own. In fact, they can't just come barge in whenever they want, even though they own it. 
by the contract, by the rules of it, they need to communicate with you. Otherwise, you're changing your lock. There's a problem. But you can give permission back to the one who actually owns it when you're leasing it. If you're leasing and your toilet breaks, if something in the house breaks, you're like, hey, let me call the landlord. Hey, this large part of the house isn't working. And if they say, hey, I'd love to come look at it, you say, please do. And you may say, you know, hey, I'll be there at this time. Or you may say, hey, you've got a key. You own the house. Come in when I'm gone. I'll be gone here. But please fix it. And you invite them into where you have authority. And it's this amazing thing that God gave us authority on the earth that he made. And as I, I look at this, I realize that for a lot of people, they struggle with that. And they're like, but God's all powerful. How could you, little you, limit the almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe? How could he need your permission? What arrogance. And they, they can go to, go to rip it apart going, how could you think that you have that significant of a role to limit or to release the almighty, the all-powerful God. That comes from a lack of understanding the difference between authority and power. There's a difference. And this will help you, or help me. So I'm gonna hope it helps you. So um, this is a checkers or chess board. Most of you guys have heard of checkers or chess. If you have not, fear not, I will educate you enough to follow with my illustration. So uh, this is a, a fun game. Chess is a little bit complicated. Checkers, not so much, unless you're teaching a little kid. In which case, anything can be complicated. But it can be helpful nonetheless. So if I set up this, this board here and get out a couple pieces, as I was explaining this to my young children, to play with them. The idea of this game is you have these little pieces and there are squares on the board. Look, this board bends so I can give you, so the camera can see it. Okay, so if you're unfamiliar with the concept, there's a board, it's got squares. These little pieces sit on the squares and they move forward, one square at a time, unless your opponent's in front of you. If they're directly in front of you and the space behind them is clear, you can jump them. You get to move further and you get to take their piece off the board. You win by being the last one on the board. Very, very simple. But as I do this with my children, you, know, you explain the rules to them and then they're like, mm, I'm going to go like this. I'm jumping you. And you're like, uh, you can't do that. They're like, yes, I can. Watch. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so you, you can in the sense that you physically have the muscles that are required to move the piece all the way across the board. But in this game, there are rules. In this game, there are limitations. You can move a piece one space at a time unless I'm right in front of you. So right now, the, the, the black pieces here have the opportunity for a double jump. But my son's like, well, but, but why can't I? Because that wouldn't be playing the game. In fact, if, if, being, if he was to use his 
power to just go and wipe off the pieces off the board. The game is over. If he wipes my pieces off the board because he's upset, he can't go, I win. Why? Your pieces are gone. Last one standing. That's not checkers. That's a temper tantrum. Um, and, and, and you go through this. Well, when God set up the earth, he created the rules by which the earth would run. He gave authority to man. And in that system, as long as that system is running, that's the way that it works. And you go, well, isn't he powerful enough to, to change that? Yes. But then the game is over. If we take off all the pieces, the game has ended. And you go, well, why doesn't he do that? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So in, in verse 4, they, they, they talk about what, when is, where is the promise of, of his coming? In verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He goes, the reason he hasn't ended the game, he goes, there are some players, there are some people who don't know me yet. And if I come back now, the game is over. The score is final. If I come back now and they're not right with me, then it's to hell with them. And he goes, I, I'm giving them a chance to repent. There's a reason I haven't come back yet. And it's not because I don't care. It's because I do care. It's because there's people who will come to know me and I want to save them. But and it, it is so good. But he's giving us time. But that means the rules that he's established, the lease and the authority that he's given are in place. And prayer now then becomes my op prayer. Here's how Miles Monroe says, prayer is man giving God the legal right and permission to interfere on earth's affairs. I was talking to uh, a friend who's an officer a while back. I called him up and I, was, I had this concept running through my head. And so I called my friend. I was like, hey, I said, you're a police officer um, and you have to arrest people and different things. Do you ever have something happen where the person, the, who, the perpetrator leaves your jurisdiction, like enters the next city? Like, yes, that's a regular occurrence. Like, okay, can you chase them? Like, what happens when they cross this line? Do, is it like free pass? Like, hey, I stepped out of Granville. I'm in Wyoming now, sucker. Like, like what happens? I think, no, no, I'd, I'd keep chasing them and I just radio into dispatch and say, hey, you know, the, whatever this person did, the, the suspect has, you know, crossed over into your city. And they would say, okay, um, thanks for letting us know. Or, you know, hey, do you need backup? And, and he goes through, I'm like, well, what if you just like see the crime when you're over there? And I, I'm like going through all of these different scenarios, trying to find the different loopholes. And he goes, he's like, oh yeah, we can do that. We, we, you know, we, we call them and we do this. And 
Mike, well, in all of my scenarios, you call them. In all of my scenarios, you have to get permission from the people that, that are in charge of that jurisdiction. He's like, well, yeah. I'm like, what if you don't? He's like, well, we do. I'm like, but what if you didn't? He's like, well, well, that, well, I guess technically that would be kind of void because I, in order to operate in their area, I need their permission. I was like, aha. So God gave us authority and jurisdiction on the earth. It's not that he's devoid of power. It's that this is the jurisdiction that he gave us. And when I pray, I am inviting him to come and move in the jurisdiction that he gave me. I'm saying, God, I want to see you move. God, will you come and will you move in my family? God, will you come and will you move inside my body? God, will you move inside my city? Will you move inside my nation? God, our nation needs you and I'm inviting you in. I'm giving you the permission with what you've given me, with what you've leased to me, with where you've given me authority and dominion. I'm saying, God, come and work on my behalf. And I I get to invite him in. And it's a powerful thing. But as I, I looked at this, I said, is it true? Like, if I look through my Bible, am I gonna see this principle run through the word? Or am I reading into things? When God moves, does he do it in partnership with people? Because if, if God If I understand this, then God is operating inside of the structure that he laid out in Genesis until he comes back to judge the world. And he's not coming back yet to judge the world because he was waiting for some people to to become right with him. So I begin to look at Bible stories and there's a lot of Bible stories and there are some crazy Bible stories. But every time I could find it, when God did something crazy, If you look around, man did something. And sometimes the role that God gave man was stupid. No offense. But proportionately stupid. So like, think of like one of the craziest things I could think of in the Old Testament. They split a sea in two so that people could walk across it on dry ground. Okay, that is crazy. There is no person who could walk into the water and be like, hmm, I'm going to hold back all the water. Like, it doesn't work. Try it sometime. Like, it just doesn't. And so, Mike, if you can't do that, then it had to be God. It had to be all God's power. But when did God do it? He told Moses. Moses like, I God, we need a way across. We need this. And he said, fine, Moses, go lift your staff. So man's role here was to lift a stick. What does lifting a stick have to do with splitting a seat? Just partnering with God. So he stood there. Whoa. So in this crazy miracle, God uses somebody, he partners with somebody, and he even gives this person the weirdest way to partner with him. But when he did it, something crazy happened. And I began to go through going, okay, so, so that was true there. And I, I started looking at the time when they made an axe head float. I looked, started looking at the time when the water was bitter, started looking at the time. And I just started going through these different things. Like, okay, nope, nope, this is where this person was involved. This person was involved. And I thought about Je- Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah, two different kings, two different times. Um, both of them were faced with an army 
that was significantly larger than theirs. Just ridiculous odds. And, and God fought for them. And in fact, the one of them, it said that they didn't even fight the battle. They wouldn't have to fight the battle. I'm like, okay. So they didn't do anything. So God did it, right? You look like there's three different armies that combined to come and, and, and fight them. So God did it. But then I looked at the story. And this is, you can find this story in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. So in verse 24 to 25, the army comes on the enemy and the enemy is all dead. And it takes them three days to gather the spoil. But if you back up to verse three, here's what you find. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And so my, oh, so it started with prayer. They said, we're going to partner with God on our knees. We're going to partner with God by humbling ourselves, Not because humbling ourself twists God, God's arm into forcing him to want what we need but because humbling ourselves in fasting and prayer says, God, I acknowledge that I can't do this. I acknowledge I don't have what it takes. God, I acknowledge I need you. And I'm coming to you. And God, I need you to move. And God sent back a word and said, you know what? You're not even going to have to fight in this battle. And, and this, is, this is what's crazy. So they came up with this battle strategy that is absurd. They're like, all right, army, get ready. We are, we are not just going to bring the band. Like we're going to bring a band and we're going to celebrate because God's given us the victory. But logically you say, you know, with some faith, we're sending the band to celebrate right behind the army. Their strategy was to put the band first. Like, how'd you like to be that drummer? Like, I'm going to battle. What do you got? I got drums. We're going to bump, like bump. I don't know. Like, but here's what it says. God had given them this word. And then it, it goes through and it um, says, Now when they begin to sing to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambush against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And God moved. Man, in the craziness, in the spots that seemed to be just God, still he partnered with people. Even on dumb things. Like, check this out. Not dumb. This is important, but it seems simple. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is a Roman officer who, he, he's a Roman and he, he wants to honor God and he, he's trying to be good. He's giving alms. He's praying. He's not sure what to do, but he's trying to do it. And an angel shows up. And an angel doesn't, well, you'd think the angel would be like, hey, Cornelius, you have a great start. You are trying really hard, but here's where you missed it. You need to put your faith in Jesus and lay out the gospel. This is what Jesus did for you, but that's not what the angel does. The angel shows up and goes, hey, Cornelius, your, what your good works, your alms, they've all been seen by God. I want you to send to Joppa for Peter. He'll tell you how to be saved. 
Then the angel shows up to Peter, who's up praying. He's like, hey, Peter. Gives Peter a vision. And then says, there's someone coming to the door. You need to go with them. And I looked and I read this. And I'm like, why doesn't the angel just do it? You just had to like tell two different people and then collaborate and then get him to travel all the way from over here over to there. Seems like a lot of excessive work. But that was the job for people. The angel responded to Cornelius and God sent somebody because God does things in partnership with people. And it's this, this powerful thing that we often miss, that we often overlook. And it, it, it's still a thing today. Uh, a couple of years ago, so a couple of years ago, meaning six years ago in March, my, our daughter was born. Uh, we've got four kids and our daughter was born. Love, love our daughter. And our, it was actually, we'd had some rough uh, pregnancies and deliveries the delivery went awesome. My wife was recovering really fast. It was amazing. And then all of a sudden she started hurting. So we're like, okay, she's like, like, call the doctor. She calls the doctor and's like, all right, they got me an appointment. And, and then all of a sudden she's like, no, I'm really hurting. Like I am, I am hurting, hurting. We have an appointment now for that day. And then she passes out. And um, I think she actually passed out twice. I'm like, forget your appointment in a few hours. We're going to the ER and we're going right now. Load her up, take her to the R, and they get her in, and they're all running around, scrambling, doing all sorts of weird, crazy things. And uh, they check us into a room where we're going to have to stay a night or nights. Now, if you work at the hospital, no offense to you. The hospital is the worst place in the world to get a good night's sleep. Um, there are unsafe places I would rather sleep than the hospital. The hospital, they are like professional sleep ruiners. Um, and if you're a nurse, we love you, but their job is like, come and check on you at the wee hours. You're like, I'm sleeping. And they walk in, they're like, hi, shift change. I wanted to let you know I'm here. You're like, what are you doing? Or they're like, hey, do you need anything? Sleep, go away. Like all these machines that beep and all this different stuff. And you're just like, ah, and uh. And there's a purpose for them. And if you're a nurse, we love you. But uh, I was just not loving them at 2.30 in the morning when they came in, when she's sleeping fine. And they're like, hey, hey, are you all right? Like, she was all right until you showed up. Um, uh, I, was, I was a bit annoyed. And they, you know, between changing of different things, coming to take your oxygen level all the time, all this weird stuff that they're doing, I was annoyed. But they didn't communicate to us very well. We didn't understand the significance of what was happening other than that things weren't good and they needed to, we needed medical help to get things good. So uh, in this, uh, we, we, afterwards we go to our primary care physician and he goes, dude, it was a really big deal. You had sepsis. You almost died. The reason that they were waking you up at 2.30 in the morning was because your heart rate dropped so much they thought you were dying. Thank you, nurse. Now, if you'd have led with that, it may have gone over a lot better, but I, I, this is crazy. So a couple weeks go by, and um, i trying to remember the exact order of when I discovered things and put things together. But a lady from church had said, hey, you know this last week or 
a couple weeks ago, she's like, hey, I was, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning. I was praying for you, praying for your wife. I just felt I needed to pray. I wasn't sure what, to, what I needed to be praying, but I felt like I needed to pray for your wife, so I started praying. And in between having it all occur, having her tell me, and then having our primary care physician go, that was because your wife looked like she was dying. All of a sudden, all these pieces came together for me. And I realized she woke up in the middle of the night when it looked like my wife was dying. God put it on her heart to pray. I was in the hospital room with my wife, miserable, uncomfortable, ornery, and annoyed. And perhaps God couldn't get through to me on that little uncomfortable couch thing that they call a bed thing in the hospital. Um, But he woke up, a lady from church, who was willing to let God partner with her to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if she had been more concerned with her sleep and less concerned with letting God use her, my wife might not be here. When I recognized that, it began to wreck me. And I began to understand that God's looking for people who will partner with him because there's things that God wants to do in the earth. There's a reason that God tells us to pray things that he already wants. He tells us to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. If God, if you want it, why did you need me to pray? Because it's a matter of authority. He's saying, will you invite me in in the authority that I gave you, in the place that I have given you dominion, in the place that I have given you jurisdiction, will you invite me to move? Will you invite me to move in your family? Will you invite me to move in your workplace? Will you invite me to move in these places? He says that if we pray according to his will, we can have a confidence. I said, well, why do I need to pray according to his will? Because he gave me jurisdiction and he's asking me to invite him in to work. See, prayer isn't an exercise in futility. It's an opportunity to partner with the almighty God to see his kingdom come, his will be done, and to see it done on earth, to see it done in my family, to see my kids established, to see their minds be strong, to have them recognize who he is, to see the blind eyes open, to see people healed, bodies made whole, transformed, renewed, to see the lost come to know him. See, I get to partner with him with prayer. And it's a powerful thing. And the invitation is for you. See, I invite you this year. The year just getting started, most of us use the year. Some people make New Year's resolutions, some don't. But you glance at yourself and you go, huh, is there something I need to change? This is a checkpoint. It's a wake up, a good time to evaluate. Is there something that needs to change in the direction that I'm taking? And I want to invite each of you to evaluate, are you a person of prayer? And if not, decide today, I will become a person of prayer and I will partner with God to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I will pray, God, you can use me. And sometimes people are like, well, I don't even know where to start. So glad you asked. Right now, we are doing pray first. 21 days of praying and seeking God together. You can join us at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. You don't have to make it to the building. 
wherever you are, we're broadcasting at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and we're praying together. We got different topics for each day. So you can go, hey, I don't even know what to pray for. We'll help you get started. Join us. Log on if you want to say, hey, you know, as we're praying for the lost, if you're like, hey, this is who I'm praying for. Hey, this is the healing that I'm praying for as we're praying for healing. Hey, this is what I'm praying that God would do in our city. This is what I'm, I'm praying. Here's where I'm praying that God would raise up somebody to serve, somebody to reach out. Join us. Simple thing that you can do. And I'm gonna invite you. This is maybe different than what you're expecting, church. The pastor asks you to get out your phone. If you wanna be a person of prayer, get your phone out and set an alarm. Fancy phones, you can even type out the name of the alarm and say, pray. Set it for 7 a.m., 7 p.m. and join us. Say, hey, I have to be at work at that hour. Great. When your watch beeps, when your phone beeps, you can know that you can pray. You can get on the website early. You can get the, here's what they're praying for. And while you're doing whatever it is that you have to do at work, you can pray. And if you're like, I sleep. At 7 a.m., I sleep. That's fine. Join us late. You can get on for a replay. You can see what we prayed. You can join us in prayer. But there is power in praying together. And I invite all of you to pray with us because God is going to move. Prayer isn't an exercise in futility. Prayer is an opportunity to partner with God and to see his kingdom come and his will be done. And as I share that, if you say, no, that, that's amazing. But I've never partnered with God. The most powerful prayer that you'll pray is he says that those who call in his name will be saved. And if you're not right with God, I want to give you an opportunity right here and right now. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? In just a minute, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to, if, if this is you, to raise your hand. If you're online, you can just type, that's me in the chat. But I want to invite you if you want to make Jesus your Lord, if you want to know that you're right with God, that your sins are forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven, just because God wants you saved doesn't make it automatic. He says we get to respond to his invitation. If you want to do that today, get ready. One, two, three. Go ahead and raise up your hands. That's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. I see your hand. I saw your hand in the back. Who else says that's me? Who else? Another one over here. Awesome. Another one up top. Awesome. Another one up there. All right. Two more over there. Awesome. Well, the Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we're going to do just like he says in Romans chapter 10. And I invite you to say this with me. So go ahead and repeat after me. Say, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid the price for my sins. I believe he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'll hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.